0: Pray with me, if you will. Lord, in the next few minutes as we um, reflect on your word, we pray that, that our hearts in particular would be open to the work of your Holy Spirit, that you might shape us and form us into the kind of people that you want us to be, the kind of people who can reflect your shining light and your living water in the world in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I just want to, again, thank many of you for your thoughts and prayers. During my recent uh, medical leave, uh, my knee replacement surgery, everything has gone well. Um, I did manage to stand for the entire first service. I can't guarantee it'll happen this time, Uh, but we do have chairs available. Becky was actually worried about that, Uh, not so much that I would fall down, but how anybody would ever get me back up. There's not a forklift in the building, so we're not real sure how that would work. Um, but, but I should be fine. I just won't be able to bust some of my preaching moves uh, like ordinary, but I'll be okay. I don't know how many of you know this or, or remember that every year in the fall for the last several years, uh, Greg and I have taken a couple of days um, out of our time and have gone away to be by ourselves and to think about um, what God is doing in the life of our church and um, to pray and discern God's will about how He might lead us in worship, particularly around the area of preaching, and we design our services around that. And while we were gone this fall, it became very clear to us that God uh, was asking us during this season of Lent um, to use the lectionary, the revised common lectionary it is called, which is a group of passages that are put together for every week of the year by a liturgical committee that represents various churches that follow the church year on a more regular basis than we do, and there are passages that are assigned for every single Sunday, and they kind of follow the calendar of the church, beginning with Advent and then to Christmas. Um, from Christmas, it goes then to Epiphany, from Epiphany it goes into the season of Lent, from the season of Lent to Easter, from Easter it goes to Pentecost, from Pentecost it goes several weeks, and then it goes into a long period of time in the fall till we get to Advent again, which is just called very creatively by church leaders ordinary or common time. We're very clever that way. So we decided that we would take these passages of Scripture. There are four that are assigned to every week, as Greg mentioned. and to think about what the themes might be. And so um, I whole up in my basement for a couple of days trying to think about what, what God was giving us in these messages, I'd read all of the passages. And as I read, when I read these things, when I kind of go through my regular sermon preparation, I'll read the passage and I'll write notes all over the place about what I hear God saying and what God might want us to know. And usually there's several pages for every passage that we have. So when you've got four passages, man, you've got a lot of notes. Um, I read through this first series of four passages for this week And I wrote down one word. And that word was trust. And I thought, man, I'm going to have to kind of put a lot of fluff in that sermon if I got one word. And then I read the passages for the next week, and, and I only had one word, and that was hope. And I'm not the brightest bulb in the box, but I soon figured out that the Holy Spirit was saying, maybe during the season of Lent you just focus on one of these powerful words. These powerful words that transform us and change us from the inside out. Powerful words that are related to this question. What would I have to do to return to God with all of my heart? In other words, what would it mean to trust God with all of my heart? What would it mean to hope in God with all of my heart? What would it mean for me to... um, have God's mercy permeate all of my heart? What would it mean for me to have God's grace live in all of my heart? What would it mean for God's unconditional love to occupy all of my heart? What would it mean for God's provision to be assured in in all of my heart? And so, That's how we're going to spend our time in the next six weeks. Today we're going to focus on this word trust, and it comes from um, a couple of different passages, one from Deuteronomy chapter 26 and then from Luke chapter 4. So Deuteronomy chapter 26 begins this way. Instructions to the people of Israel as they go into this promised land for the first time. When you've entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. And the priest shall take the basket from your hands. He'll set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, in this worship service, you'll say these words, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people, and lived there, and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor, Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, the Lord, have given to me. Place the basket before the Lord your God, and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and to your household. And now this word from the Gospel, Luke chapter 4, the first 13 verses. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, to reflect on the landscape of our culture and society, it's not hard for us to know that that we have trust issues in the world in which we live. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, in her column, Mary Schmidt, who writes for the Chicago Tribune, wrote about trust issues in the, in the city of Chicago. And these are all confirmed by polls that have been taken of neighborhoods, or things that people have said, or conclusions that people have reached in power and authority. She says that Chicagoans lack trust in the police force. She says that 70 percent of Chicagoans do not trust Mayor Emanuel. Citing lack of trust, the Chicago's Teachers Union rejects the latest contract offer. Police don't trust citizens to cooperate with their work. Mike Madigan doesn't trust Governor Rauner. Now that last one I found fascinating and, like, surprising. Really? I don't think Governor Rauner trusts Mike Madigan either. But it's not just the city of Chicago that has trust issues. In many of the schools around Uh, the suburbs and in surrounding area in Chicago, teachers don't trust administrators, administrators don't trust teacher, and neither of them trust the school board. In various workplaces where you work and live, people don't trust people that they work with. They don't trust their colleagues. They don't trust management. They don't trust ownership. There's just a general lack of trust. And Patrick Lencioni, who is a prolific writer about business, said that that one of the primary five dysfunctions of a team, the foundational dysfunction of all teams, is this lack of trust. We don't trust one another. And if we were to be honest, sometimes this lack of trust rears its ugly head in churches. Congregants don't trust elected leaders. Elected leaders don't trust people on the board. Some people don't trust the staff. There's a general lack of trust in the world in which we live. And it's not that uncommon for us to run into it on almost a daily basis. And we even have trust issues with God. I mean, do we trust that God will fulfill our purpose in life, that he has a purpose for us? Or do we simply try to carve out our own purpose and then ask God to bless what we've decided? Do we trust God for the success of our children? Or do we manipulate and maneuver and cajole and work on it so that they get the opportunities that we think they need to have and then ask God to bless them. Do we trust that our identity is secured through our relationship with Jesus Christ, or do we work really hard to create some kind of public image that other people will honor and acknowledge? Do we trust that God has our best interests at heart even though a family member may be chronically ill, or someone that we dearly love has passed away? or our children struggle, or our life is hard. I mean, we all have trust issues. And the question in the season of Lent is, how do I learn to trust God with all of my heart? Now when you're a nation of people who have lived as slaves under the rule of a foreign power for hundreds of years, and then you've been allowed to escape, but have had to live as nomads for forty more years, and you're given a property in which you're going to occupy, a country whose infrastructure is all in place and everything is there, and as the passage said over and over again, the land the Lord has given you, the land the Lord has given you, the land you have inherited, it's a free gift for you, you're not real sure how to manage all of this. What kind of government do we set up, what are our priorities, what should our culture be based on, how should we go, how should we go about living? in this country, and make it unique to all the other countries, and certainly different than when it was in Egypt. And that's basically what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. It's God telling the people of Israel how they're going to live in this new land that they are inheriting. And certainly in the passage that that I shared a minute ago, that is evident in, in, in that passage, even instructions about how we're supposed to worship. There are some instructions there that begin with, My father was a wandering Aramean. All of the fathers, all of our fathers was a wandering, your father is a wandering Aramean because all of us can trace our history and roots back to this Middle Eastern nation where Jacob was the father of the nation of Israel. He had 12 children. Those 12 children all thrived in some way, shape or form. One in particular who was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt rose to the top of power there and in a story that only God could orchestrate Jacob and his entire family moved to Egypt, and there they thrived and grew to be an enormous and powerful nation year after year, generation after generation, until we're told that at some point in time the Egyptians forgot about Joseph and what he had done for their nation, and the Israelites simply became slaves, and the people were oppressed. And they cried out to God, we're told. Not for a day or two, like, we, oh God, save me for this. And if it doesn't happen the next day, we're disappointed in God. Not for a week, not for a month, not for a year. But for generation after generation, for perhaps a hundred years, the people of Israel cried out to God to be released, and finally it happened, and they were sent into this promised land. And now, God says, remember. Now why does God have to tell us to remember? Because we're prone to forget. Remember remember what I've done for you. Remember how I've led you. Remember how I've delivered you. Remember what I've given you. And and the way that you symbolically remember is you come to worship and you bring the first fruits of your crops. You bring the best. The best of what you have. Not the leftovers. Not the fruit that's fallen on the ground. Not the things that we don't really want. Not things that are good enough for some other people. I mean we lived in Traverse City for ten years. It's an agricultural area. Um, you know, apples, fruit, cherry, all this other kind of stuff. I don't know much about it, but I do know that the first crop is the best crop. And you take the best of what you have and you charge the most money for that. And then the secondary crops, you know, the the apples that drop on the ground and the cherries that aren't so good, you send those to Illinois for those people. But but the first fruits you keep for yourselves because that's the best stuff. And that's going to give you top dollar this is an odd instruction is it not you take the best of what you have and you present it to the lord and that's the way you say thanks is by giving god your best now this concept of tithing that we talk about and that we have in the life of the church is based on the same thing we don't a lot of us grow fruit but we get paychecks and when you sit down to write out your bills with your paycheck the first check that we're supposed to write is is our first fruits It, it goes to the lord And then you got ninety percent of the rest of your money to live off from that's also supposed to honor god but too often what we do is you know we we pay our cell phone bill we pay our cable bill we pay our house payment we pay our car payments we pay our utilities and then if we've got some money left over we'll bring it to the lord and in reality the way this works best is if you write that first check to the lord the rest of the 90% goes a lot further for you, and you can kind of figure it out. In fact, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be gathered under you. You'll figure out how to do, live off of what you have left over. It's going to work. And if I have to give up a cell phone, praise Jesus. So we give our first fruits. And part of giving your first fruits is that you trust Lord to provide for you for the rest of what you need. God had proven faithful to Israel for her entire life, delivered her from Egypt, brought her to this promised land. And because God has done that, we can trust God for whatever comes. And our future is what we're being told in this passage in Deuteronomy. For hundreds and hundreds of years, for generation after generation, they were held captive, but God eventually fulfilled his promise. And because of that, they could always trust God to fulfill His promises. And in essence, that's what was happening to Jesus, you see. Jesus was about to begin his public ministry. He had spent 30 years in Nazareth, most of his adult years as a carpenter, and now he's going to begin a public ministry, which only would last three years. And before he got started, he went on a spiritual retreat. To listen to how God would have him direct that ministry. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to go about this? What should I value? Forty days. And we're told, 40 days without food. And the very first temptation... now, Now, just remember, the first part of the passage says, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Not Satan dragged him into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus was on a spiritual retreat. He went there by himself to converse with the Lord, and Satan showed up. Satan shows up at spiritual retreats. <laughs> and the very first temptation that he came with Jesus with after being hungry was to turn these stones into bread. What a great ploy. Let, let's say that Jesus is 30 days into his retreat when Satan shows up with this particular temptation. We don't know. It could have been 10. It could have been what difference does it make? He ate nothing for 40 days. He was hungry, no matter when Satan came. And the very first temptation is that, that, that easy one, right? Well, just turn these stones into bread. You, you can do miracles. Turn the stone into bread. You're hungry. Feed yourself. Take care of your material needs. You should be able to do that. And Jesus reminded Satan that man does not live by bread alone. And so Satan came with another temptation. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'm going to give you all of their authority and all of their splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. All you have to do is worship me, and all that will be yours. Power, fame, popularity. Don't these sound like the very values that people move toward in our culture? Aren't those the things that you and I are tempted by on a regular basis? Jesus could have it all at his footstep. All he had to do was to worship Satan instead of God. And when I think about this in my life, I think, well, I don't have to completely turn to Satan, but all I have to do is to give in a temptation for power and fame, and I've given in to Satan, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. You know, stand on top of the building here. Go up on top of the roof today. Dive down onto the asphalt. You'll be fine. You're one of God's children. He'll take care of you. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? And Jesus' only answer is, you know, you shouldn't put God to the test. There's a fine line sometimes that we have to find between trusting in God for things and putting God to the test. And, and, and it's hard for someone else to tell you what that might be. It comes through prayer and discernment and reflection on our own. You know, on Tuesday night, the congregation approved the budget, $3.25 million. That's a lot of money. But that's actually a pretty safe budget because that's what we collected last year. If we really wanted to stretch ourselves in faith, maybe we should have been 3.5. But if you want to put God to the test, make it $5 million. See how that goes for you. You see the difference between we can say, well, that would be really faithful if we paid $5 million. That'd be probably crazy to make it five million dollars, right? Is it possible for God to provide? Probably. But that's probably putting God to the test. But having faith is just honoring. So we're always we're always dealing with all of these temptations, right? the temptation to honor our material needs and our material needs and wants first the temptation to want fame and power the temptation to put god to the test and to do our own thing they're all there in our lives every single day and we ask ourselves these questions during the season of lent are we are we too concerned about our material well-being and taking care of it ourselves Do we worry too much about what we wear and what we'll eat and where we'll live, as Jesus once said in the Sermon on the Mount? Do we spend on ourselves first and think about God later? In the Heidelberg Catechism, one of our teaching tools that have been used historically in the life of our church, there's a question about the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And if I was to say to you, without looking at the screen, what's the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer? You all, of course, could answer The fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer is, Give us this day our daily bread. Well, what does that mean? We're saying, do take care of all of our physical needs so that we know that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our work and our worry nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. And then the last sentence, And so help us to give up our trust in creatures, and to trust in you alone. When you have to rely on God for your daily bread, when there's not a pantry full of food, when there's not money piled up in your savings account, when your car may or may not start, you have to trust in God all the time. It's the only place to turn. And because we are so blessed with all these material things, it's a little harder for us. We're not driven to trust as much as those who live in poverty or in difficulty. But there's always areas of our life where God pushes us. You see, we can, we can trust God because he always delivers. He delivers a promised land. He delivers emotional support. He delivers an important perspective. He d- delivers a necessary affirmation He gives us value. God can be trusted. How do I turn to God with all of my heart? The High Catechism, the book of Deuteronomy, Jesus' time in the wilderness would say with trust. Do I respond in life to difficulties and trials in a way that looks to God to guide me through it, or I try to solve them by myself, and when that doesn't happen, then I turn to God? Do I trust God fully, or do I frequently put God to the test? When life is difficult, do I get angry or frustrated? Do I try to exert my own control? Do I trust that God will guide me and lead me through the rest of my life? These are the questions of Advent. These are what it means to wrestle spiritually with who we are and who God wants us to be. And the primary question that we are working with is this question of, do I trust God with all of my heart? So now we're going to go to this table. And we're going to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And by doing so, we are saying this. I trust That through this bread that was bought at the store and the juice that was bought at the same place, somehow the Holy Spirit will work to nurture and strengthen me, to give me wisdom and insight, to help make me God's source of shining light in living water. We trust God for those things. Let us pray together. God, we thank you for the way you've worked in the past. And you call us to remember, because in remembering, we learn to trust you. And so work in our hearts and minds over this journey of Lent to learn more about our areas of weakness and how you want to come alongside of us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And now, O Lord, as we celebrate this sacrament together, we pray that we'll be open to trusting that you will feed us in some mysterious way that we don't really understand and that that's okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. As we prepare now uh, to go to God's table, let's turn our attention to the screens and share these words together. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We Lift them up to the Lord. the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right praise to give, give him thanks. thanks and praise. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the traditional Passover meal with his disciples. And during that traditional Passover meal, Jesus interrupted all of what was going on and he reached across the table and he took bread and he blessed it and then he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And during that same meal, Jesus Christ reached across the table and he took a pitcher of wine and he blessed it. And he poured that wine out into a cup And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood, which is shed for you. Do this also in remembrance of me. And every time you do it, remember and never forget my death and my resurrection on your behalf. So recalling now his suffering and death and celebrating his resurrection and ascension, We await his return in glory. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So we are bold to proclaim the gospel with the church in all times and places, saying together the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary
1: and, and the, the life, life everlasting.
0: everlasting. Amen. Hallelujah, friends, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. All who are thirsty and all who are hungry, come, for now the Lord will feed us with his goodness of God.